Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sports Loan Podcast. Ashes Day 5, Daily, and Australia have won. A remarkable, a historic test match ended 4.30am last night in Australia. That's when I slept. Woke up at 11, and now I'm having a record of the podcast. Patrick Cummins at the forefront of a remarkable victory. Usman Khawaja, as reliable as ever. A rock he was. What a brilliant victory it is. Let's get into sort of some discussions that I want to make. Um, I want to start off with Travis Head. Um, going leading up to this day, I thought that Travis had had a big um, ha- had a big role to play. I, I thought that Travis Head could just play his natural game, make even a fifty or sixty balls. It would make a major difference. I think I mentioned in yesterday's podcast as well that it would make a major difference in the sense that yeah, it's fifty runs, fifty runs close to the target, but. It's also 50 runs at a rapid rate, so Stokes is going to have to change plans. He's going to have to change fields. He's going to have to adapt. And at a stage, there might even be a sense of panic settling in. But, unfortunately for Australia, the Travis Head ship never really looked settled, never really got going. He, he looked very shaky. Um, I think to an extent, you have to credit that to the field settings of England and, and Ben Stokes. He, he blocked off um, Travis Head's major scoring areas, but it was it was sort of antithetical to the way Patrick Cummins blocked off the major scoring areas in the sense that Cummins put fielders in deeps because England like going to the top. Um, ben Stokes crowded Travis Head in the infield so to make him, I guess, go over the top. Um, they they stuck that sort of short ball, short ball cramping up tactic. They had... Um, Two on the leg side, two running down on the offside, and they had crowded the rest of the ring. Um, the lines that the bowlers therefore bowled were never defensive, always attacked his body, or went for the Yorker, went for the stumps. And just like, just as you thought Travis had might have started to get going with um, a six, four, and a four, I believe, a Moin Ali, then he, his footwork sort of left him, and he, and he nicked off, and Australia had lost Scott Boland, and Travis said, and the scoreboard had not really gone anywhere. At that stage, when Cameron Green came in, it was critical, that they had a partnership of substance. I think I think at the stage when Cameron Green came in, Australia needed around 140 more runs. And the way I, I was thinking to myself, um, to break it down from an Australian point of view, is that I think they want to leave 30 for Cummins and Co. And I think that's being sort of... That's being... It's underestimating their ability. I think we saw in the end Cummins made 45 on his own. But I think you want to be safer than usual. So I said, uh, if you want to break it down, if you want to leave 30 for Cummins and Co, then you want to get 110 between Osman Khwaja, Alex Carey and Cameron Green. So uh, a partnership of 55 between Osman Khwaja and Cameron Green, a partnership of 55 between Alex Carey and uh, and whoever the other other incumbent was, Osman Khwaja or, or Cameron Green. And I think in the end, Cameron Green and Osman Khwaja did get, I think it was around 54-run partnership, something that's under those lines. And um, Australia looked looked alright, but then they lost two in quick succession, um, which is an issue. A- a- anyways, we'll, we'll sort of get to that progression um, as we get to it. I want to focus on Usman Khwaja. The resilience he showed in this test match, the, the, the heart and the fight and ultimately just the, the reliability that he showed in this test match was, in my opinion, next level. Uh, at, at T... Um, the stat was that Usman Khwaja had faced 480 balls in this test match, eight less than England's first innings. Ultimately, he faced more more over 500 balls, more than England's first innings, scoring over 210 runs in the test match. He was only off the field for over 10 overs, uh, over 15 overs in the test match. It shows the first of all the, the concentration that is required. It shows how he was a backbone of this historic win. 
and I think it shows to an extent fitness as well. Usman Khaja's fitness has always been questioned, um, especially in the Australian press over the years due, due to sort of his body shape and the way he looks. But he was on the field every single day, and he was on the field for all, all but around 15, 20 overs. So I think if anyone is fit, it's Usman Khaja because it never really looked like his batting ability wavered until perhaps at the end it felt that, oh, his innings had sort of come to a, a stop. Um but I, I think the forefront of Osman Khaja's success, batting-wise, is his clarity. Um, that's something that I think he discusses pretty openly as well uh, in, in the press conferences. He's always saying stuff like, oh, I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin now. I know the way I want to play. I know the way I want to behave. I'm just happy and I'm comfortable. And I, I know that I'm probably towards the end of my career, so I'm just enjoying every moment. And I, I think that reflects in his batting. He knows that this is my game. He knows his game so well now, and he, he says that to himself. This is my game. Look, in this zone, I'm going to block it. Short, pull. On my legs, clip. Outside off, maybe I'll go for a booming cover drive. But usually, he's, he's predominantly sort of leg side player with um, a very solid front foot defense, a very solid back foot, just a very solid defense in general. And he, he has offside scoring options. I don't think he's completely limited offside, but he'll get most of his runs um, from balls that are. Uh, shorter of a length and, and, and a bit straighter. Re- regarding sort of coming away from the clarity and the mental aspect of his game, I, I think technically it's his defence. It's his defence that has improved drastically over, over the past years, and it's his defence that has, I think, led him to sort of conquer any demons, if he ever had any, against spin. Because what was one conscious narrative from his side has always been is that he actually never had any major demons against spin. He wasn't really given much of an opportunity. Homework game. In, in India with Mickey Arthur um, dropped in Sri Lanka I think after two test matches um, in England yeah he actually got to spin a few times uh, as well as swing um, but he said that he always thinks he's a, a good player of spin I don't think that discussion is relevant but um, I think what we can see now is that spin and fast bowling his front foot defence especially his front foot defence is remarkable on a good length ball he will negate that ball pretty well um, especially of the spinners, uh, there was the spells when Joe Root and Moina were bowling to yesterday, and he just looked unshakable. Um, nothing could throw him off his game, and I had sort of decided in my head that it was one card was going to finish hundred not out, hundred and ten not out, and Australia were going to win this game, and it was going to be one of the most remarkable Ashes batting performances ever. Um, maybe one of the most remarkable Test match batting performances ever as well. The, the solidity and the concentration that's required for such a such a front foot defense is, is remarkable. And, and commendable. I want to focus on sort of the after tea passage now, um, and I want to look at it from England's perspective first, and then we'll sort of look at it from the Australian perspective. I thought Ollie Robinson really set the tone after tea. I thought his spell after tea was a major turning point. Barely a loose ball, every ball was on its desired length, the fields were funky and pressuring, he was changing angles, switching between over and around the wicket in the same over. I'm pretty sure he went like around the wicket two balls, over the wicket two balls, around the wicket two balls, he switched multiple times. Um, and I think ultimately this actually what induced the error from Cameron Green. Um, it was just sort of the, the relentlessness of Ollie Robinson and sort of the um, relentlessness despite sort of inconsistency in plan if you get what I mean like the line and length was always the same but the fields would change the angles would change but he would still keep hitting the same spot at the same pace and it would just no relent Cameron Green ultimately in the end seemed a bit hesitant and, and he chopped on I think I think the hesitancy and sort of the the choking effect 
that was created by Ollie Robinson's spell um, was remarkably backed up by England's ground fielding. England's ground fielding off the tee was, was stupendous. Fast bowlers diving around. I think it was Anderson, Robinson, um, Pope dived around a few times, Duckett, Stokes, and they were saving crucial runs and you just felt that, wow, England are in this. England are determined. The wickets were falling from the other end and you felt that... Australia wouldn't wouldn't get there in the end, and it would be another day where Ben Stokes reigned, reigned supreme. And why not? Why wouldn't you not feel that Ben Stokes um, had reigned supreme? Because you felt that after the time that Usman Khwaja had invested and the resilience he had shown on day five itself, that he was going to take Australia of the line. But no, why? Ben Stokes, I. I I don't think, so on Twitter I see this a lot, and even some, some pieces I read, um, I wouldn't call it a stigma, stigma is probably not the right word, but I, I see a lot of sort of accounts saying that narrative-based writing and narrative-based analysis is lazy and boring and, and borderline fan fiction, um, I, I don't agree with that, I don't think narratives are lazy, um, lazy analysis of the game, I think I think the issue becomes when the focus is primarily on narrative, when discussing sporting results without focusing on the actual preparation, the actual tactics, the actual mechanisms of the game that led to that result. I think to an extent that might be, I wouldn't say the word lazy, but I think that might be sort of um, inaccurate in capturing the full curriculum picture. But I want to focus on the narrative of Ben Stokes. Um, and the narrative of Ben Stokes as a clutch player, it continued to grow after last night. Um, or at least I, I thought it was going to go all the way with the win. Um, he continues to be involved in the most important moments of thrilling games of cricket. He didn't bowl most of the day. He came to bowl with around 27 of his left. Bowls a slow ball outside off. I think it was a leg cutter. He completely deceives his man Khwaja and he chops on. Probably indicating that the pitch was had reached its sort of peak. In its slowness and perhaps even lowness, and Stokes' celebration was was fascinating. Um, to be fair, it was typical Stokes. Whenever I observe Stokes in the cricketing field, whenever I watch Stokes in the cricketing field, it always feels like he's in some sort of pain. It always feels like he's fighting some sort of war out there. Um, and that's what we got yesterday with the celebration um, against Usman Khwaja. A grimace, perhaps nursing his knee, um, and he walks the, walks the moment off as if nothing had happened. The classic chivalrous, stoic image. Ben Stokes and he had changed the game and when he had got Usman Khwaja out I was just sort of thinking about the what ifs from Australia's end um, by the 74th over Australia were 209 um, I think they were 209 for 7 they had scored 102 runs in 44 overs um, for the duration of day 5 while a brunt of this was due to Usman Khwaja's strike rate Green and Carey weren't exactly playing at the career strike rates either I think Carey was at a stage, I think it was 10 of 40. I think Green was 22 of 50-something at a stage. Um, and so what it ultimately ensued is Australia got to a position where Carey and Cummins were, had to forcefully push the initiative with premeditated aggressive shots. Um, first show dropped dropped Carey. Um, caught and bowled. Carey sort of trying to force one down the ground. To be fair, it is a strength, strong shot of his, but you could see that there were some of the shots that were not definitely not there. Cummins was backing away. Um, and ultimately Carey trying to force the initiative got out um, and some of the shots were even across the line so uh, at that stage uh, I thought questions had to be raised of Australia's intent and approach throughout the day 
and I, I don't think intent necessarily required them to be aggressive to a basketball extent. But to not consistently access scoring options, especially against a bowler such as Joe Root, who went on 2 and over, to not even put his line in length. On, uh, at a stage, I think Joe was none for 16 after 10 overs, um, or after 11 overs, to not even put his line in length under pressure once before sort of the next carrying pack comes tried to was perhaps testament to a sense of reluctance and timidity in the Australian camp. Um, and I, I think while it's not the right approach to an extent, you can see why, because every wicket had such value coming into day, day five, 180 runs, seven wickets, one being a night watchman. So primarily the job has to be done by your main batters and Alex Carey, Cameron Green, Usman Khawaja. And those were the three um, that seemed initially quite reluctant and quite timid to sort of force the game, or I guess not, not at least take on the game. Um, Especially someone like Cameron Green and Alex Carey, who, who normally do that. Usman Khawaja is happy to play in this sort of um, tranquil, meditative reverie, if you may. But yeah, I thought that was starting to cost Australia because at a stage run was going to 3.5. And I was like, how have they, how have they got to a stage where maybe a draw might come in? Um, obviously, not to me. Why? The Patrick Cummins heist. What was most impressive for me about this historic performance of Pat Cummins was the immense self-belief that he had. When asked in the press conference if he felt Australia had a chance when he came out to bat, he replied with, Yeah, I thought we should have won. The wicket wasn't doing much. It's a pretty remarkable statement to say. I think that I, I thought that we should have won when I think when he came in then he required um I don't have the exact number on me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna assume it's around seventy runs. I can I can check for you now. Um yeah, when he came in, they required exactly 72 runs. And when Alex Carey got out, they required a further further 55 runs. Um, so to sort of say that, that we should have won when you have three wickets in hand, you guys might be the last recognized partnership. The tail is, is pretty long. Um, you have major stalwart in Usman Khawaja is dismissed. And the run rate is starting to get in the range of 3.5 with the margin of error very little. To believe you can pull it off. And then believe you can pull it off even without major support from Alex Carey is a tremendous feat. Um, and I think what we saw from Cummins yesterday was that he seemed to channel the batting skills that he always seemed to possess. He's always shown glimpses and he's always shown this in periods this remarkable consistency. My mind goes back to the Border Gavaskar series um, back home in Australia uh, a few years ago. The IPO knocks that he's played, the freakish IPO knocks that he's played. But recently, it's been a pretty dry run. But yesterday, I think it was sort of a mind of a, of a matter thing, if you want to put it that way. His calm temperament, his maturity, I think his determination, responsibility as a leader, ensured that even if his technical skills aren't honed, and even if his technical skills are potentially sort of flawed um, to succeed consistently at this level, he was able to get the job done. He picked the high percentage shots down the ground against Joe Root. And he realized that he had to sort of take on Joe Root. He, that, that was the matchup that he had to take on if Australia were to have a chance. Um, he realizes that he also has a weakness against short ball bowling. Yeah, and um, despite having this weakness against short ball bowling, he, he, he refused to take on that leg side fielder, which was clearly set for a short ball trap. Um, and instead, once again, played the options and, and relied on, just relied on his game to take Australia over the line. He would either back away and look for the boundary option on the offside, or he would just defend. Um, 
And I think despite doing all of this, he was also constantly talking to Nathan Lyon, especially when Nathan Lyon started to take on the short ball. And Ben Stokes held on to that catch. Who knows what have ensued? But Cummins was also talking to Nathan Lyon. At times, they were joking and laughing. It seemed a pretty relaxed environment. And I think ultimately when he got to around 15 runs left, Cummins himself said that I, I was pretty confident then when he got to 15 runs. And I, I think it showed in the way Pat Cummins was sort of holding himself and, and sort of I think the celebration was a great reflection of how much that meant for him. Um, he put in a lot into that final evening. It was a typical gutsy knock of a leader. And I think as as admitted by Pat Cummins, it's one of the finest wins in his career for him. It says it ranks number one. But it was definitely the finest win and his finest demonstration as a leader. As a captain, I think the ball on day four, he made a major, major difference. And you could see in his body language and his celebrations that he was, he wanted it. With the ball on day four, he was pumped. And with the bat on day five, he got it done. Australia go 1-0 up amidst all the hype and the hysteria around baseball. England fall 1-0 down once again in the Ashes series. Alarming? I don't think so. But... The margin for error does decrease, and I think baseball is can be a. I'm not going to say hit or miss ideology because it's been pretty hit, um, as you see from England's record. But baseball can take risk, can sort of take risk taking to the extent where some errors do occur, and it may sort of inhibit them from, I guess, full performance. It's something that we discussed yesterday regarding sustainability. That if England sort of honed themselves a bit, potentially made 50 extra runs on day one, and potentially put a, a few more value on wickets um, on day day four, then yeah, Australia could have been chasing 400 instead of 280. But we also came to the counter argument, and I also came to the counter argument that like Australia, if England were playing with that sort of moderation, if England were playing with that uh, sort of I guess restrained fearlessness then potentially they might have not even got 280 because we saw what happened when they tried to play the conventional way uh, the team didn't look like they could play test cricket if I'm being very honest so I think what we're going to look to do for, for test 2 I think I, I honestly think they'll play the same way potentially the, the boldness and the brashness maybe calm down 5% in the situation of the game um, potentially the declaration may not happen again uh, and probably they might be a change of personnel, but it also depends on the pitch. I would probably like to see a faster pitch if I was an England point of view. I know that your batting may not suit it, but I don't know. I think Joe Root can get get him apply himself well. I think Harry Brook could apply himself well. I think Stokes, Bairstow, they're playing, they're playing in those pitches for a while. I think they'll be all right. Uh, I think the issue will lie with Zach Crawley and Ben Duckett at the top of the order, um, but it would stupendously help their bowlers out quite a bit. And uh, it sort of seemed like they ran out options yesterday on a docile and a, and a slow pitch. And the likes of Usman Khwaja, that's what they thrive on. Ahmedabad, that's where he did it. Pakistan, that's where he did it. Um, it probably even helps out David Warner. I think this sort of pitch helps out David Warner more than a seeming swinging Stuart Broad avatar would help out David Warner. Smith and Labuschagne, um I don't... Uh, I think this probably helps out Smith and Labuschagne more. Probably at least helps out Labuschagne more, because if Labuschagne was already struggling with this version of Stuart Broad sort of swing and seam, then a, a faster pitch with actually some moisture and help would be even more of a struggle. I think Smith will be fine either way. I, I think he'll make runs this, this series. I think it's too good. Um, but someone like Travis Head might struggle, even with the faster and a, and a more seeming pitch. Um, 
Alex Carey, Cameron Green even. So I, I think it's actually something that helps England in their favour, um, despite maybe the openers struggling with it themselves. So that's something they might consider. But guys, it is a fascinating test series ahead of us. Time for now, a break for the teams and, and a break for us podcasters and writers before Lords next week. And I'll be honest, I can't wait. Catch you there on the other side.